We met with Bencher Candidate 2019 Shalene Gill in his chambers on University Avenue. A criminal defense lawyer who was called in 2018, he believes the Law Society should offer additional guidance to its members. Thank you so much for seeing us on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, It's a pleasure to be speaking. Why don't you introduce yourself? uh, Tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're running for venture. Thank you for having me. My name is Shaleem John Gill. I'm a recent call. I was just called in January of 2018. I'm a sole practitioner. I practice criminal law in the city of Toronto. I service all the courthouses. I did decide to run for venture because I believe I have a, uh, a different perspective. What's your career trajectory been like so far? From what I've seen so far, a lot of the people that do run for venture, a lot of the incumbent ventures, are very uh, successful, very um, well-experienced. They're a little bit older. I think we need a new perspective, especially with so many changes happening in the law society, so many new things that are coming into play. There's a lot of issues that are more prevalent now than they've been before. And I think because of those issues coming out to play, we need everyone to work together. It's not just for the well-experienced, the older successful lawyers. I think everybody needs to be part of the conversation. And I think the more we have diverse perspectives brought up, the better we'll be able to come to new visions, new policies, and better understanding of those issues with different people adding to the debate. So did you start your own practice immediately after being called? I did start my own practice after being called. I articled with Nader Sachik and Elham Jamshidi right after being called. They really helped me and they, like, they really supported me to start my own practice. What sorts of challenges have you faced? Because I think you and I have that in common yeah. and I found it a little bit challenging to figure out what forms need to be handed in, you know, what obligations am I meant to meet? How do I stay organized? Those sorts of things. You know, what what challenges have you faced? It's definitely been really challenging. It's a lot different than working for somebody. I'm the only one that has to do the work. I'm the one in charge. If I don't do the work, no one else will. That's part of being a sole practitioner. It's definitely hard trying to balance all the work, not just the law part of it, but all the administrative stuff, all the um, all the small, like, nitty-gritty things when you get into it. It's definitely very difficult, but it's been, it's been uh, very rewarding, too. I can control the clients that I see, the time that I spend coming in on weekends. It's, it's, it's all up to me, but the work has to be done. I definitely want to do it at the highest level of competency that I can. And historically, sole proprietors have been underrepresented at convocation. You know, we've talked a little bit about adding a fresh perspective. Do you have any thoughts on what the Law Society should be doing to better assist small and medium-sized firms? There's definitely a lot of policies that do need to be geared towards sole proprietors or practitioners. It is a lot more difficult for a sole practitioner not just to practice the law, but also balance everything else. One of the main issues that uh, does come up is the parental leave program, whereas at a big firm you do have a setup for uh, maternity leaves, paternity leaves. Um, When you're a sole practitioner, taking off 10 months to a year can be detrimental to your business. I think better policies do need to be developed. One of the issues with the current parental leave program is the means test, I think, is very um, prejudicial towards sole practitioners. And like, if you're making over that 
like like over the the standard, I believe it's uh, fifty thousand. Then you're kind of you don't have those resources available. So I think that needs to be restructured, uh, relooked at. Again, it's not just for well-experienced, big-time lawyers to look at those issues. I think we need everyone, again, to look at those issues. And it's not just people that have been practicing for 10 or 20 years. We also need people that are just starting so that they can add to the debate and work on those issues as we work towards the future. In deciding to run, was there something in particular that motivated you or is this something you've always wanted to do? It definitely motivated me to bring that, like again, that that fresh perspective that, I, that I've been talking about multiple times during this conversation. One of the main things was that because I had just been through this licensing process, applying for jobs, finally figuring out that I want to open my own business, having gone through that experience so recently, I think I'll be able to add to the debate again using that experience because it's so fresh because I I just went through it whereas other people talking about licensing process issues having gone through it 5 10 15 20 years ago the issues are not at the top of their mind and it's not as fresh so I think adding to like a recent experience in that there is issues that I'd be able to assist with and and add value in no way is it a competition. I believe that it's uh, something that we need to work, like everybody needs to work together. Uh, like again, students and, and the teachers. Switching gears a little bit, I understand that you've just been through the licensing pathways. Yeah. When deciding between LPP, articling, what sorts of considerations did you have? How, how did you ultimately forge your path? Financial issues is one of is one of the main considerations that not just me, but Everybody going through the licensing process um, has to go through being paid for articling versus not being paid for LPP is one of the main concerns too. I know the Law Society did just change that articling is mandatory to, to be paid work now. There is considerations that go into the LPP too that are um, uh, you do get a more wide experience. It's not just one uh, section of law that you practice that are part of the experience, uh, whereas if you do article, it's usually in one section of law, unless you're at a full-service firm. Even then, you'd uh, focus into one area of law and try to learn it the best that you can. Uh, when I was looking for a job for articling, those were a lot of the things that I was looking into, thinking about what I want to practice, the structure that I want to advance in the future. Those are some of the issues that come into consideration. And I think that what the Law Society can do is uh, help those students, help the people that are in the licensing process in a more meaningful way. There's a lot of hurdles that exist in the licensing process, and I think not just making it easier, but if we can, ma- if we could just uh, help direct those candidates in a more meaningful way, that, uh, that would really be beneficial and help some of the the further issues that relate to it, like access to justice. So I understand that you completed your degree in England. Can you talk us through the process of accreditation and any thoughts you have, whether that's something that you think the Law Society should be revisiting? I definitely think that there's issues that need to be revisited, that need to be debated. Uh, Not just the licensing process when you return, but more direction for people that are going overseas, that are going to uh, different schools, that 
one day want to practice law. Just to uh, give a little bit of insight, I, I went to McMaster for my undergraduate degree. After that, I decided to go to England for law school. I went to University of Southampton. Some of the considerations that that did affect that choice is that uh, it's possible to do a law degree in England in two years rather than three. Not all the schools require an LSAT. The LSAT is also, it's very, um, I'm missing the word right now, sorry. Horrible? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hard experience to go through, um, but it is... Uh, it, it tests if, a very specific type of knowledge. It's, it's a very specific type of knowledge, and it's, if you... Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're smart or better than others if you can do well in that area or if you can't. I think that it does need to be re-looked at. Uh, I mean, other uh, considerations that do go into if someone does want to go overseas, um, either to England or uh, Australia or anywhere in the world and pursue a law degree. Like once you come back, you have to apply to the accreditation committee. They make the decision on like uh, how many challenge exams you will have to write. I know a lot of students that are coming from England right now are facing uh, six to nine exams. So you don't necessarily know going in what the process will be when you return. Is that fair to say? No, you do not. It all depends on uh, what school you went to, the grades that you got, some of the courses that you did. And even though uh, you may go to a very good school, the course structure may also affect how many exams you have to do. And like that process can take up to a year. Some people can get through in a more expedited uh, fashion, but it's minimum uh, at least five months. I know other people that have been in the process um, and it took them almost two years. And some of those delays are outside of a candidate's control. Some of those delays are outside the candidate's control, but you do need to study for those exams before you can uh, write the challenge exams. So those are definitely considerations. There are other routes available now. These are new programs. Some of those programs are uh, pursuing a master's degree at Osgood or U of T. But again, those may not necessarily cover all your accreditation exams. Uh, they may cover up to four or uh, depending on the courses that you take. That is the route that I took. I did the uh, master's at Osgood. It's a Canadian common law program where they focus on the, on the same courses that would be part of the challenge exams. And in doing so at that program, I didn't have to do any NCA uh, accreditation exams. It's definitely a good option to consider, but some of the other considerations that go into that, it does cost a lot more than the NCA process would. So it's not for everybody. It's, it's something that each, each candidate needs to look into. But again, like if we had more meaningful direction from the Law Society so that those candidates or people that are even thinking or pursuing a law degree abroad can have those answers, can have a place to ask those questions and uh, get help before spending thousands of dollars and pursuing a degree that It's a challenging landscape. Up. Yeah, it's yeah. a very challenging landscape that we're entering into, for sure. So I, I want to know more generally, what draws you to criminal law? How did you find yourself in this practice area? It's something that uh, I've, I've seen throughout my life. 
when I was growing up, I used to see uh, some of the some of the guys from my neighborhood getting charged with different offenses, and I always uh, justice was one of the main things that brought me towards uh, this area of law. I do have a lot of friends and and family that also practice law. Uh, none of them actually are in the criminal field, but when I was discussing with them and other people on on what area of law I want to focus in. Criminal law is the most uh, meaningful for myself, where you're actually uh, helping others that can't help themselves. It's definitely, I find it more interesting, I find it more challenging in certain ways. I find it meaningful to my life, and like in in a way of giving back and like helping society as a whole. One thing that I've heard a lot about from recent calls is the financial burden that comes with entering into practice. So insurance, licensing fees, you're hit with it right at the outset, and you may not even have an income to, to pay. Yes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. That's a good question. Thank you, Karima. Those are issues that I've been through again very recently. Uh, the, the issue of the financial burden of practicing is an issue that obviously affects all recent lawyers. It's, it's part of, again, the reason that I wanted to run, the reason that I wanted to be part of this debate is because... This issue uh, definitely affects sole practitioners more. A lot of times in a big firm, uh, insurance, law pro, law society fees are paid by the firm. For someone that's practicing in a smaller office or as a sole practitioner, lawyers are really backed into a corner where they have to pay these very large fees. And it, it definitely makes a big difference in, in how you can continue practicing and how you can cover those fees. So I think that, again, we do need uh, a little bit better direction from the Law Society. And uh, one of the other things that I wanted to focus on, too, is bring up issues surrounding the, the fees for CPD. Continuing professional development is, is a very, very important part of practicing law and uh, ensuring that we have better competence in the future um, for the legal profession. But a lot of times the programs that are available are very costly. Um, and when you add those on top of the law society fees, on top of the law pro insurance fees, it, it can become very burdensome. We do need to add into the convocation debates on how we can either subsidize more CPD for younger lawyers, for sole practitioners, for smaller firms, so that we can make it easier for lawyers to to get better and to to develop themselves professionally. And I think that uh, those issues need to be worked on and they need to be debated. And again, like that's part of the uh, the reason that I want to get involved. Are you a member of any professional associations or have you had the opportunity to take advantage of mentorship programs? Being a criminal lawyer, I'm, I'm part of the uh, Criminal Lawyers Association. I find that to be a very uh, helpful uh, association to be part of. Um, there's a lot of things that, that can be discussed with other lawyers. Um, they do have the mentorship program, which I have been a part of. I signed up even this year for it. Um, I find it to be very beneficial for younger lawyers and for, uh, for the mentors, too, that they can help other lawyers be as competent as themselves. Are there issues that we haven't yet broached that you would want to share with anyone listening to this episode? So yeah, one of the issues that I that I do think is very important at this time is debates around better technology, better cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is something that that not everyone understands right now. 
but it's something that's becoming more and more important while uh, especially when we start using more computers and we start relying on a technology for our practice so i know last year the law society started the technology task force that looks into cybersecurity issues I believe I'll be able to add a different perspective, again, to the debate surrounding those issues. I've worked in a number of firms, like during articling, not everybody is as reliant on, on, on technology. I think, again, we need better direction from the law society. Part of the debates that are surrounding the law society's role in better technology is, uh, should it just be slight direction? Should it, ju- should it be part of other CPD programs? Or should it be something that the law society requires lawyers to develop better technological competence. I think that those issues uh, are stronger for sole practitioners, uh, people in smaller firms. Myself being in that situation, I, I, I do think I'd be able to add to that debate. I think those policies definitely need to be looked at, need to be debated, and come to better conclusions. If someone is interested in learning more about you, where can they find you? I'm happy to work with all different people understand uh, different opinions, understand different thoughts that are going towards the, the policies. And, and uh, again, not all the issues that affect myself are issues that affect other lawyers. Everybody has a different uh, view on what the law society should be doing on the, on the issues that, that affect them. I'm always happy to talk at any time. Add me on LinkedIn, add me online. I'm available on, uh, uh, my website's up and available. It definitely uh, shoot me an email or a text, I'm always happy to talk. If there's anyone that wants to discuss issues or, or, or talk about myself or the issues that I want to focus on for this campaign or for the election, please feel free to reach out and uh, contact me. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat today. Uh, it's been nice hearing from you, and I wish you the very best in your campaign. Yes, thank you. And again, I do appreciate you coming and uh, taking your time out on Sunday. It's been my pleasure. And uh, thank you for your support and kind words. Um, I obviously wish you the best too. I'm excited to continue working with you and continue working together with other lawyers and being part of the change. The Bencher election 2019 for the Law Society of Ontario takes place from April 15th to 30th. If you're out of Ontario, why not look at what's happening in your region? If you know someone who's practicing, see what they're up to. Encourage them to vote. Check me out on Twitter at Karima Rules.